It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hey, friends, this is Andy. This episode of Accelerate is brought to you by KiteDesk. KiteDesk is the all-in-one sales development platform that lets you manage all of your sales development activities, such as email, direct dial phone calls, and your daily to-dos, all in one place to open up conversations, book more qualified meetings, and really create a predictable pipeline. KiteDesk Flow and KiteDesk Find allows us to find exactly the right people in the industries we're looking for in the roles that we're looking for. That's KiteDesk customer Michael Orfis. Michael is head of sales at Stratified. In addition to the all-in-one management of his sales development team's days, KiteDesk helps him with another big part of his job. We have the ability with KiteDesk to do what we call targeted campaigns. Our conversion rate from what we were doing in the past to what we're doing now has been really massive. So you don't have to take tons of time to research, prospect, then blast large lists of people that never turn into sales opportunities. We're seeing higher clicks, we're seeing higher open rates, and without question, we've seen a massive increase in pipeline generation. So to learn more about KiteDesk, schedule a free demo, and learn how to create predictable pipeline at your sales organization, go to kitedesk.com forward slash accelerate. That's K-I-T-E-D-E-S-K.com slash accelerate. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. Joining me on the show today is Andrea Austin. She's the Vice President of Enterprise Sales at Inside View and the co-author of a brand new book called Aligning to Achieve. And Andrea, welcome to the show. Hello, I'm glad to be here. So, well, thanks for being here. And so take a minute, tell us more about you. Maybe tell us how you got your start in sales. Yeah, so um, I like to always preface that anything past 20 years is just 20 plus years in business. <laughs> yeah, um, don't even get me started on that. Exactly. So um, I've been in uh, the sales world um, from the very instantiation of my career. I came right out of university and I went to IBM. Mm-hmm. And uh, did I was a marketing sales associate, so I was actually in marketing planning events, and I will not tell you the product that I was launching because that will date me. Um, <laughs> can, but we, I, can we I, guess? <laughs> uh, yeah, you may have been called an RS six thousand now Series yeah, I. Yeah, yeah, okay, um, got it. And so we were coming quick out of mainframe and AS four hundred and moving to more, uh, you know, uh, configurable products, as mm-hmm. it were. Um, and so was in the marketing organization. So I have a, a heritage. My first job out of university was in marketing. Um, and then I, I used to sit in the bullpen and I used to watch the bell be rung. And we used to have selling Fridays where uh, all of us, including those in marketing, had to draw from a short straw. And we had to present the solution back to the rep in front of all the other people um, and face all the objections and all the bravado that that salesperson was feeling from winning their big deal. Um, back to them in front of all the colleagues. And so we called those Selling Fridays. And I was I loved that concept. I loved the uh, experience. And, you know, it's a safe environment. It's very nerve-wracking because you're presenting in front of your peers. Um, and obviously, as a, as a college student, I was very uh, nervous. But you, I learned to objection handle very early in my career. And I loved it. I thrived on it. So I was like, I think I should go into sales. Um, so, uh, you know, did a pivot over into the sales organization and did sales development. Um, so did a lot of cold calling emails mm-hmm. in the day before email was a popular thing. Right. Um, a lot of calling, a lot, even knocking on doors in those days. I was a young college student. Now, where, which uh, territory did you have? 
I was in Bakersfield, California, super glamorous city. Super um, glamorous, yes. Out, yep, out of the branch office, we rolled up into San Francisco. So spent did a couple of stints up to San Francisco learning. Um, and then I made the pivot into, I moved back to Texas, which is where my family is from. And I went to work for a utility and was implementing uh, PeopleSoft, interestingly enough. And yeah. um, went and joined PeopleSoft about three years later and was the second employee in Dallas and was in the um, sales organization and made my way up through the organization. Um, did a little stint in Germany for a, for a few years um, in project management. So took my dipped my toe over into consulting. Um, had a great experience with that. And then when I moved back to the United States, I went back into the sales organization. So my, my heritage is predominantly in sales. And f- for me, it's, it's mostly been enterprise selling, so I've not been a traditional transactional seller. I've been working with large, complex customers, large engagements. Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know, my heritage, um, I, I spent seven years at PeopleSoft and really grew up in sales at that organization. Um, and then and then I did my I did my doc, my dot com tour of duty, uh, worked for several early stage companies, mid stage software companies, worked for a private equity firm. I went back to IBM as a professional hire, totally different experience in going to them as a college student. Um, and then I, I, I came back uh, into the enterprise software world with a company that was acquired by Nuance. Um, sure. And then I was uh, enticed to come back and work for Umberto Maletti here at Inside View three years ago. Uh, I had worked with him at Digital Think, um, one of the first SaaS companies um, back in the early 2000s. It was quite fun and adventurous. Now, what did Digital Think do? Uh, Digital Think, that's right. What did they do? Um, they did e-learning. Got it. And I was very excited to go into e-learning because I thought I could get all of the, um, uh, the you know, benefits of working in an organization that did learning, but still work in the tech space. So mm-hmm. it was a little bit of the best of both worlds. So you've, yeah, I mean, you've you've got quite the resume there in terms of variety of experiences that you had, yes. Yes. and. Obviously, you were in marketing. You've worked with a bunch of marketing departments. Mm-hmm. So you've teamed up with your marketing counterpart at Inside View, and you've written this book called Aligning to Achieve, which is all about really the, the sense of urgency behind right. sort of perfecting sales and marketing alignment. So why now? What was impetus to write the book now? And in your mind, to tell the audience why you think it's so urgent. Yeah, you know, I having been a sales leader probably for the last uh, you know, 12, 15 years of my career, um, you know, I have to be honest, I've, I've worked around marketing a lot in my career. You know, the, there's a natural tension between sales and marketing um, because there are a lot of handoffs points between us. And I think for many years, there was the the issue of MQL to SQL to SAL, mm-hmm. qualified lead, marketing accepted lead. I mean, I'm sorry, sales accepted lead and then, and then you know, all, all of that in between. And that handoff, you know, there was always what are the conversion rates? What are your conversion ratios? Um, and when it, when it came down to it in enterprise selling, um, some of our best leads came from our own work. Um, and so working around marketing or, or, or leveraging marketing to do branding and thought leadership, not so much demand generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we've evolved into the SaaS world, um, you know, as, as just a, as an industry, um, th- that changed, right? And, and I think what we're finding and really to address the why now is the buyer has changed, right? And the buyer is now in charge. Um, and if you think about the due diligence that a customer goes through before they ever even knock on your door or hit your website site or respond to an event, um, you know, they are, they are, I mean, without hesitation, before they ever engage with sales, they're 57% down the line. Oh, you've um, read the Challenger book. 
I have. We are yes. a challenger shop here at Inside View. Okay. Um, and and then if you think about the point in which you know marketing can get involved earlier and kind of influence their perception, that's at about 37%, right? And so the fact that they're they're making decisions that are sometimes uninformed or ill-informed, um, when they, by the time they come to sales, which is, you know, where my team is, they're, they're fairly influenced. Um, and so the fact that the buyer is more, is self-educating, I think it requires sales and marketing to actually get alignment. So I think it's a forcing function for our organizations. And, you know, we have to manage their due diligence awareness with their actually purchase decisions and, you know, driving the purchase decision and pushing it through the sales process is my team's responsibility, but we need to lean in with marketing more aggressively to kind of influence the awareness and knowledge and frankly, the perception that's out there in the market. Right. So that's interesting point about perception. So how much that perception is fully formed by the time you, and this is your, you know, obviously your opinion, but is fully mm-hmm. formed by the time that you engage with the prospect for the first time versus the perception that's created through that initial stages of the engagement with your sales team? I mean, I, I think, you know, I don't know that I fully buy into the, that it's, you know, almost 60%. Um, well, now Brent, I talked to Brent Adamson of who are one of the co-authors of a book a couple weeks ago and Yep. It says the research now says sixty eight percent. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I mean it's definitely evolved. Um and it's I was at this I was at the C E B event last week mm-hmm. um and you know saw the updated statistics as well. Uh so I, I think they are definitely I think they have a per, their perception is often based on the data that they're coming across, right? So what's out there? What, and, and again, one of the things that we do here at Inside View is we, with, within especially the enterprise segment, we're we're pushing up into more thought leadership pieces, not not just to change the perception. Certainly, that's the undercurrent and the objective, but it's also to create more educated buyers and make them more discerning. Because Inside View, you know, we believe that we have a world-class solution. And I know that's a trite saying, and it's what everybody achieves to do. We're, we're an 11-year-old company, right? We are mature. We've been around the block. We defined social selling way back when. Um, and, and we need to take ownership of that again. We need to manage the fact that our customers are settling for good enough versus kind of pushing themselves to be different and to be better than their own competition by using the best products in the market, which we believe we're one of. So if you, if you buy into that, that if they're, if they're progressing down to the, you know, plus 60%, um, uh, you know, knowledge base in their perception, and we think that that's not exactly right because what, what that what happens what that means is they're somewhat pigeonholing their thinking right because they're going after a very specific business pain point versus looking at the bigger picture and so I think that's the you know that that's the real driver for me is to help influence that perception that they may not be looking at the whole problem they may be looking at a symptom to the bigger pain point that's you know really the the root cause of what their problem is if that makes sense oh it does yeah no I we could spend an entire episode just talking about the good enough decision and mm-hmm. the ramifications of that. So, but then we wouldn't be able to talk about your book. So we'll have you back and we'll talk about that because that's <laughs> I think that is is a topic that does not get discussed enough. And well, and I have and, lots of suppositions on that because I think in enterprise selling, frankly, I, I think there are really three primary objections, and we will not go we will not click down on this. But you know, it's it's selling against good enough with multiple buyers that are, that are priority constrained, right? They have conflicting priorities. So if you put just a conflicting priority with a single buyer, that's fine. You can try to, you know, change that. But when you are talking about 
seven different buyers and seven different priorities and you're selling against good enough, why now? <laughs> why, well, yeah. change, why change anything at all? So I think in enterprise selling, that's what we're faced with in this very crowded architectural landscape that we're sitting in today with all the different technologies that are out there. Okay. Yeah, yep. I mean, you just did a great description of the Challenger customer, so clearly you guys buy into it, um, <laughs> which is fine. I think I thought I actually thought Challenger customer was a, actually a better book of the two Challenger books. I thought it was quite good. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about your book then. Right. So again, we're talking about why you wrote it, the impetus for doing it now. So from a sales perspective, because you know, I'll get your co-author's perspective on another interview we're going to do, is so what's the biggest value to sales from from the alignment? I mean, you talked about the handoffs and this idea of reducing friction in the process. So, give an example of what you mean. Well, so so I'll I'll take it. I'll pull it up into a, a, just a hard line. I think of a fact. Um, and if you uh, think think about the ability for organizations to be better aligned, um, if we're all doing our if, if we're masters of our craft, right? So as, sales, as a sales department, let's say. As a sales department, as a marketing department, as a product organization, if you're masters of your craft and you're, you're, you're looking forward, right? So I, I, have, I have lots of little um, Andrea-isms. And one of them is if you're looking over your shoulder, right, what's coming next, what's happening behind me, um, I'm, I'm in a state of fear, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm nervous, I'm not looking ahead. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking ahead and you're giving it all that you have forward, and you're, you're, you're master of your craft. I believe, and, and IDC supports this with data, that 10% of, of annual revenue can be increased if you're actually aligned, right? So if you're actually impacting, what's the bottom line impact of being better aligned? You can drive 10% more annual revenue. And I'm telling you right now, if what I wouldn't give for 10% more at any given end of quarter, end of year, um, that's material, right? Well, if you're a billion-dollar company, that's $100 million more. Right, so it, that is material. So I wanted to dig down into that because in your book, you guys quote a similar statistic, which is from Serious Decisions, saying that revenue growth could grow 19% faster if, right. if aligned. So, right. so 10, 19, based on what? I mean, that's that's the question people are going to ask. I mean, because you know we get all these statistics thrown around with some of this this research, and I think it's really it's hard to do some of this because some of this research, because you know, these human to human interactions we have in sales are so complex and they take place within a certain context. So, so how do they come up with a 19% figure, a 10% figure? I'm based on what? So the 10% is based on revenue growth. The, the, but what what happens to make it grow faster? That's sort of the question. No. And I think it's a great question. I think the things that happen are you're actually, you're, you're, so you're handing off the you're understanding the handoff points. You're clear about what the expectations are on turnaround times. And I and I will tell you, salespeople are busy. Are they busy with the right things? Not always, right? Do they get distracted? I, I mean, I'm I have a sense of ADD myself, right? I get I, I get clicking down on something, and I'm like, ooh, I'm down a track. And I'm like, wait, what was I doing? Why, mm-hmm. why was I? Mm-hmm. And I think our I think our salespeople are are equally challenged by that because there are so many things coming at us. So if, if I, if I take a look at, you know, what are any of those metrics tied to, right? What is the, what's the root behind them? And I think it's, it's that if you're doing the things that you're best at, you can actually drive faster growth. So, so one is revenue implication of being better aligned. That's the 10% coming from IDC. Serious decision says, if you're actually 
closer aligned. You can actually drive that 19% faster growth. Growth doesn't always have to be just in dollars. It can actually be based in retention. We think about your existing sure. customers growth. Um, and then also think about the profitability of that. So, and profitability to me, I think is a more interesting area to take a look at because are you doing things most efficiently? Are you doing things in the right way? So the statistic from Serious Decision is 15% higher profitability if you're actually a, a better aligned organization. And if you think about that, if you're if you're, um, so we actually did original research, and we have uh, you know material on that if anyone's interested. But in that material research, we actually identified. Um, you know, a, a, a series of categories where uh, about a thousand respondents were actually telling us where they felt they were um, aligned and not aligned. And the four top areas were communication, processes, which are sometimes broken or flawed, were mm-hmm. missed by different metrics, and we have a lack of accurate data on our target accounts, right? Who should we be targeting and why? And who are the people within those organizations? So if you think about communication, and so we, we tackle each of those kind of top four areas, um, you know, which are the biggest challenges in aligning sales and marketing, and how do you approach those? And we approach them kind of from a three-legged stool kind of to support this initiative, and that's around people, processes and technology. And so we, we can get into that as we go through this conversation. But I think if you think about the most efficient way, which is going to drive that profitability, um, and and if you can get to profitability, then you can actually drive the better growth and the and then the actual um, you know revenue that comes along with that. And it's not that you're not, you're going to get a different percentage of revenue growth, but are you tracking year over year, quarter over quarter growth? And is that what's keeping your people motivated? Because sometimes momentum sure. does something, right? Sure. I just, I'm just thinking back about the 15% profitability. I mean, that you're really talking about, geez, we're going to decrease SG&A by 15%, basically, right? That's what they're talking about. Yeah. Which, which yeah. is like, that's, that's a pretty big number. Because you're because you're being more efficient, right? If you think about the handoff points, just the handoff points alone between sales and marketing are not insignificant. So think about the the cost of a lead. If as an organization you're tracking the cost of a lead, and that lead is defined either by revenue of a company or employee count, mm-hmm. depends on you segment your your base, and that's handed off to the wrong team. And remember that team is busy and they're running and they're they're always just trying to keep up. Are they going to really pass it to the right team? Or are they going to drop it on the ground? No, they'll drop it on the ground, sure. And do you want to pay someone in marketing to go and catch all the things that drop on the ground? That's not that's not efficient. That's not a good use of resources. And so if you're if you create those SLAs and you create the definitions of what is a good lead and what is the baseline of our data? Like are we using the same data to enrich our front end leads as we are the data that sales is researching on and have we defined our our target, our total addressable market the same or is marketing doing a different definition than the sales organization is doing? And that's where if you're out of alignment, then it doesn't matter what your MQL definition is or your sales accepted lead definition is because you're going to have misalignment and that's where the stuff is going to drop through the cracks. And that's just inefficient. Okay. Just not inefficient. All right. So, you talk about in the book that that this actually this misalignment between sales and marketing is, is despite all the new technologies that are coming on the scene for sales and marketing automation, is actually getting worse. Um, it's it's I think I it's mean, you make the statement of the book. It's getting yep. worse. It's reached a point that I don't think we can continue to allow ourselves to be out of alignment, and I think that was the driver for Tracy and I to write this book because we actually found ourselves 
aligning really well because we and, and we have a supposition if you think about the, the, the three pillars I mentioned people mm-hmm. process and technology at the people level it starts from the top right if we don't respect each other and and I I'm a, a very direct leader um, sometimes um, I could probably be a little more um, gentle with my feedback um, but at the same token I'm in a rush myself and I would just prefer to be direct and um, you know Sometimes it's a little matter of fact and it can be perceived as a little painful, but at the same token, there are no hidden agendas with me. <laughs> and so if, if something isn't working, I'm always asking why. And, and I don't, I try not to blame, to be quite frank, is I try to understand why are we out of alignment? Why are we, why is this, why are we, these leads not flowing? Like, why are they stuck? And I really want to understand. And, and I used to get an answer from our former marketing team. I would get an answer. Oh, it's, you know, it, our lead scoring model, it's pretty good. So, you know, just trust us. And I was like, eh, yeah, it doesn't really work for me. I don't <laughs> trust not, is not on my list. Trust is not easy for me. And I'm sensing I'm not getting enough flow. And so I really want to understand. So I, I definitely have adopted this notion of uh, instead of blaming, I seek to understand. And then I start to click down and really understand what's behind this. So, big part of that is in that communication is understanding what's working. Tracy and I found that we communicated really well and we started to, she wanted to understand why my team did certain things. I wanted to understand why her team did certain things. And we started to actually talk and not blame. And that actually gave her, her team the ability to kind of drop their shoulders mm-hmm. right, and say, Oh, wait a minute, I can experiment with something and I'm not going to be judged. And even if I'm, you know, I want to, I want to try, what if we tried this? And it was like, okay, well that didn't work, but let's, let's do more of this one that did work. Um, and so we actually started engaging and we were like, wait a minute, this is working. Um, and we both had had prior experiences where we, didn't like our colleagues and our counterparts. So we said, you know what, we've got this, we've got a pretty good thing. Let's actually put this down on paper. And that's when we started with this original research and we presented it, it's funny enough, at CEB a year ago. Mm-hmm. And we had a really nice response. People came up to us and said, this session was completely worth my entire, co- the cost of coming to CEB. Um, and then other, you know, people followed up, well, what do you mean by marketing? We came up with this meeting called marketing. Yeah, I was going to well, ask a question about that. So Yeah, and so 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 it just kind of built a little momentum, and we were like, wait a minute, this this is more than just, we thought about a white paper, a couple of blog series. And so we pitched the book idea to Wiley, actually Tracy did, in all fairness. Um, and then she asked me if I would be willing to be her co-author, and I was like, absolutely. Let, let's just, let's make this a fun project. I don't know that I actually believed it was going to turn into to a real book um, until about May, June, we were wrapping up in July. And I was like, wait a minute, this is a real thing. Um, and started getting really excited about, um, you know, get, getting this all down and sharing it to see if we can actually tackle this as a problem. And I think that's one thing that was really interesting about what I think, I think it's interesting about what we tried to do is at the end of every chapter, we tried to give some very specific actions, right? Mm-hmm. Takeaways. And that's one of my biggest things when I read a business book is, well, you know, what's the, what's the shorthand here? Like, what do I take from this chapter? Yes. Um, and, that, and that was something that we really were really disciplined about in every chapter. There's an action list. Well, you know, people only read the first 50 pages of business books, just FYI. Yeah. So you got to get that message in there in the first 50 pages. So let's talk about some specific steps, though, to, to get it right. You talked about your marketing meeting, and I want to get to that. But you know, you, in the book, you say, look, this is a culture thing yep. more than anything else. You got to start. Culture has to be set. CEO has to be bought into it. And, and you give some examples of horrific behavior on the parts of salespeople refusing to shake Tracy's hands and so on that, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, that's happened. So, so yeah, what's the CEO? Let's talk about some, you know, real discreet steps. CEO has to set the tone. Um, yeah. 
the CEO has to agree that, that it, you know, as we get into those tension points that the leadership team is behind this concept and, um, and, and Umberto Miletti, our CEO has been fantastic with this. He, he's, he, you know, and, and, and it, what's so nice is, you know, with sales and marketing are client facing, right? We're field facing. And as we're facing the market and we're getting the, the feedback that comes in from the market, because we're aligned, we actually, um, again, from a cultural perspective, our alignment actually moves things within the company quicker because there's not, there's not disagreement. No, Tracy thinks it's this and Andrea thinks it's this. It's actually allows us to and, and we, we joke about it. We call it collusion um, because – and sometimes I'll, I'll be completely frank with you. Sometimes Tracy will say to me, Andrea, will you push this thing forward? Or I'll say to her, mm-hmm. hey, I'm super vocal on this topic. Do you mind taking it? And again, we are, we are way better and more powerful together because when sales and marketing are pushing together, we're actually able to get more done. And I think that actually helps break down some of that internal – internal uh, consternation within an organization because both field facing organizations are saying, Hey, this is an issue and we need to work on this better messaging, you know, this product feature, um, something with our employee culture. And so I think if you think about the impact on culture, yes, it absolutely starts at the top because if your CEO is not in, in support of this, they could actually be fostering, uh, maybe you guys need to, you know, duke it out over there. Uh, right. Tracy, Tracy likes to call it healthy tension. Right. Uh, one, a former CEO of hers, and I'm sure she'll tell that story, but um, said, you know, I actually like healthy tension. And she's oh, yeah, like, no, I've worked for people that have said that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not sure I personally don't respond well to tension. Um, you know, I have, I have a natural uh, energy about me. My, my clock speed is fairly high. And so sometimes just, me calling a meeting with someone creates tension and, and so, well, it, and they're getting a little bit nervous and, and I'll talk about that when we talk about this marketing meeting, but yeah, well, um, marketing and sales don't have to compete. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. I mean, it's, this is not yeah. cats and dogs. I mean, this is, this is people trying to achieve hopefully a common goal. So, right. so what are some of the, you know, let's again, talk to discrete steps, some of the behavior, mm-hmm. some of the processes that need to be adopted to start this process of alignment. I mean, I've talked to a number of people on the show about this. I mean, people talk about similar meetings to your marketing meeting, but just, you know, as a first step, understanding what the other party does is really important. Well, I, I mean, again, as a sales leader, I cannot tell you how many times in my career there's been the, what's going on? Like, what's the calendar? What's events happening? Um, what, what's it, what are campaigns are we launching? And, and just that, just the fact that we're bewildered about it and we, you know, we don't know all the work that's going on. I mean, I intellectually, I know that my marketing peers are not sitting over there twiddling their thumbs, but at the same token, you know, I, I don't want to have to be, be quizzical about it. I would like to just know and have it up front. So, um, it, it, it started from a funny story and I think it's actually in the book, but, um, you know, I was having a little temper tantrum with our CEO and um, because marketing had, you know, sponsored a South by Southwest table. Uh, and mm-hmm. I have I have 14 people in Austin and no one from my team knew that it was happening. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so now, now we've got the premise of that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I was ha- like I said, I was having a little temper tantrum with Umberto and he, he just he just very matter of factly said to me, what are you going to do about it? And I was like, well, I'm telling you about it. He was like, I know, but what are you going to do about it? And I was like, well, oh, yeah, I guess I should do something about it. So I, I actually, this is before t- Tracy got here, I actually organized a meeting called Smarketing and called it Smarketing to be kind of funny. Um, and, and, you know, to be quite candid with you, I think the marketing team felt like they were being called to the principal's office and um, they were nervous. 
Um, they didn't like an 8.30 meeting on a Friday um, because that may have been a little bit too early for them. Whereas, you know, salespeople are in the office usually by seven making their calls and, you know, dealing with customer issues and whatnot. Um, and so we got on the calendar and, and really it was getting everything down on paper that we were doing. So it started off very basic. You know, you want to talk about getting down to basics. We actually have morphed that communication meeting into a six, six week rolling window. We look two weeks back. What, what did we do? And is it measuring the way we anticipated? And that gives us the ability to say that experiment worked. That one didn't. Let's do more of that. Let's not do more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we look two weeks right in front of us. What's going on now? Oh, we've got a CMO summit next week in Chicago. Can we leverage another, a few client meetings while we're there to take advantage of the cost savings? So again, think about the profitability implication of communicating and sharing that information. And then we actually look two weeks ahead, right? What's coming and how are we prepping for that? And are we getting our sales development team all over it? And it's just creating, again, I, and it's creating the alignment, right? We're actually talking about a rolling six-week window every other week. Now, we used to do it weekly because we needed to do it weekly. We've now evolved it to every other week, and it's awesome. So what, Okay, so that was a lot of communication coming from marketing to sales. What are you communicating back to them? So we are in that meeting. And we are, we are actually bringing our ideas to the table. We are, and, and so in, in Inside View, the sales development team, the, the people who pick up the phone, think mm-hmm. about it, our inside sales team, they're in, they're in sales. They're not in marketing. And so, so they're executing on the campaigns. They're giving feedback, right? If you think about the amount of feedback that happens via email today, we don't force it in email because it's just, uh, again, I get 600 email a day. And I don't have to, I can't, which ones are priority? And I, I, you know, I know intellectually my people, then my customers, then my peer group. But at the same token, I get a lot of emails where someone's like, can I just get your feedback on this? In this marketing meeting, we take like five meetings, five to 10 meetings a week off of our calendar by having that meeting. And what else does marketing want to hear from sales? They want to hear, they want to hear is what worked. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you deliver this message? What about this offer? Mm -hmm. Um, how about, you know, the feedback on who should be invited to an executive dinner? Who should we invite to our, um, you know, VIP dinner at CEB last week? Mm-hmm. Who should we invite to the Forrester executive dinner? And and guess what, sales? Can you make the calls? Because coming uh, an email from marketing is not going to get the attendance there. So we actually, you know, brainstorm on, okay, you know, rep, you take this because you want to get this person. You've got a deal in motion. And you know what it's it's actually allowed us to do is through that, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but we, we don't worry just about top of funnel leads anymore. We actually look at how are we nudging things through the sales cycle by influencing things that are already in motion because we're now collaborating. And we trust that marketing is not going to go in and disrupt a sales cycle with a communication that we're not aware of and not in support of and didn't have feedback into. Mm-hmm. And, and frankly, marketing gets to float concepts by us and they get the check and the sign off from us because it's we're not having another meeting to talk about that. We're actually executing in that meeting on a variety of tasks. Um, and it just it's like I said, it takes five to six meetings off of our calendar every week because we're we're just hitting it all in one fell swoop. Now, I think you have to be a little careful with that meeting because we did find that it got a little unwieldy. Everybody and their uncle wanted to come right. because it had so much momentum. So we reshaped it and we said, OK. We don't need our CFO in the meeting because we found people were performing for him. <laughs> and, you know, we weren't, we weren't as authentic. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. We were on a little bit of show. So we took it back to, guys, this is an operational meeting. We're making decisions. We're iterating. We're experimenting in this meeting. We're testing ideas. We're talking about our open lounge, you know, 
giveaways. We're, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're pretty action oriented in that meeting and that doesn't mean it's always strategic and we're, you know, not do, looking at dashboards and other types of things. We're, we're, we're pretty down in the weeds and rolling our sleeves up and getting busy. So you're, you are one of your managers are representing the voice of the SDRs and the account execs in terms of, you know, content yeah. requirements and so my on. SDR managers in there. I've got a couple of my sales director in there. Um, sometimes every if, if I can't make it, so that that's a must attend meeting. So if I can't make it, I'll send a delegate. Um, and but I have a couple of my directors, and sometimes I'll just say to Damien, who's my sales director for the West, Damien, you're representing the whole enterprise team today, and he's and he takes that seriously, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, I've got to you know, I've got to represent, and 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 then have the responsibility of communicating this back out, right? There's an event launching, and we're doing this, and we need this from you guys, and we're running the spiff or whatever the action is from that meeting. And a sort of procedural question, but one I think is really important. So how do you document what happens in the meeting? How does that get distributed? We use a Google Sheet. Okay. And it's shareable and people can go in and edit it. Some people have more edit authority than others. Some some of it's read only, but there are, uh, you know, the, the directors and some of the sales development leadership, you know, they have edit authority, but others just have view authority. And frankly, I, I send that out to my whole team. So I don't, I don't want the, oh, I didn't know that was happening to happen. Mm-hmm. Right? We, we created this meeting with intention. And I want it to be, I don't want it to just be an idea. I want it to be something that's actionable. So I will tell you the noise has gone down about I don't know what's happening. No, as it should. I mean, I yeah. think that uh, that's what's so interesting about the meeting is, is, and I've talked to a couple other uh, people in similar roles to yours that said, yeah, this this really becomes the critical thing is this, this meeting uh, shows sales, which is so important because, you know, you see statistics where, you know, SDRs are spending 35% of their time repurposing content. <laughs> it's like, yeah. seriously? So, yeah, things like this for people to think about, okay, how do they align their sales and marketing? Having a meeting like this is really, I think, the crux of it to start with. I mean, you've got to form the relationships, and there's a lot of pieces around it that, we'll, unfortunately, we don't have time to get into today. But, but this meeting, I think, really holds the key. And, and you know what? The behavior in the meeting holds the key as well. If we create a toxic culture where there's blame and there's judgment versus seeking to understand and remedying things, then you're actually fostering more tension versus allowing for, hey, so, you know, I'll, I'll, I, I, I do have a, a, every now and then I'll blow my lid, right? Um, and <laughs> and, and I, I can't say that it hasn't happened in one of these meetings or two. Um, and every now and then Tracy's like, it's okay, right? They need to see that this, like, it's okay to make a mistake once. It's okay to, it's actually even okay to do it twice. Don't do it a third time. Like when right. the heck are we going to learn? Right. Um, so and I'll and I'll you know I, I'm I have uh, a tendency when I'm when it's the same mistake we're making over and over again. I don't mind I don't mind failing. I don't I think failing is is a it, it can absolutely be a positive thing. I just want to fail forward. Right? Right. I want to learn from the mistakes that we make so that the mistakes are are in, you know with intention. Yeah. And if we don't learn and fail forward, then we're just being dumb. I think. Yeah. I think we're just. It's, it's, it's just silly and it's frustrating. And that's what's the point of not doing it right if you don't actually learn from it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so I, one other thing I want to talk about is a little different topic, but it's in the book. And I, I thought it was actually it was quite interesting is you have your new customer engagement model. Mm-hmm. And so for people listening, it's like a figure eight lying on its side. And uh, you sort of have uh, the words find, engage, close, and grow, but it's a continuous loop. And I thought from a visual standpoint, and we'll see if maybe we can put it on, on the show notes page or something, but it, who came up with that? That was very clever. Yeah, so um, that's an ellipsis. 
And um, if you think, if you transform the traditional funnel from, you know, marketing is creating awareness um, and they're building top of funnel leads, right? That, that's very MQL focused, marketing qualified lead. Um, we, we, we did decide to flip that on its head and, and turn it into an ellipsis because frankly, our customer relationships are not one and done. You don't build a lead and push it through and then you're done. We just don't do that anymore. That's not the SaaS world. And so if you have a long term, and frankly, it's, you know, when I was, when I was at IBM um, as a client executive, that wasn't our, that wasn't the model anyway, right? The model was much more of engaging with your customers through the life cycle of the Mm -hmm. relationship. And so that's what the ellipses represents. It's you, when you find someone new, you engage with them, you close that first deal and it's typically an expansion type of relationship. Then you grow the relationship and you can, you can actually grow and, and actually start harvesting from that initial growth, the next opportunity. And then it brings back in that, that find a new opportunity, a new department, a new division, engage with them while still holding your existing relationship and driving incredible results from that initial relationship. And then close that additional piece of business with that customer. And then you're growing that new book of business. And then you're looking for the next opportunity. And frankly, our customers today are not dormant. Right. They're all there's a lot of M&A activity going on. There's growth that's organic and inorganic. And so as you're finding new opportunities and engaging with those and closing those, you're growing your additional book of business. So we just found that the the funnel had to be turned from kind of the traditional top down into this ellipses model where you're actually ebbing and flowing with your customer's business. And as they're growing and as leadership changes happen, as they're expanding operations and they're launching new products that that more accurately represented the relationship that we have with our existing customers. Well, yeah, and, and much more so than often you'll see that in a, a circular format, right? We start at, mm-hmm. yep. you know, find in the top, we work our way down to the bottom and come back up to the top. And this way where it's, you know, it's, as I said, it's this figure eights or quasi-pretzel shaped yep. is it gives you the sense of, of engagement, momentum, and flow that I think yep. represents the way that well, things really work with customers. Well, your growth, your ongoing relationship with your customer absolutely touches new business. If you're not doing a good job of nurturing and supporting your existing customer, you're not actually going to grow. <laughs> you're not going well, right? to, no. so it has to touch and overlap. Well, and I think they already say in the SaaS business in general in the Valley that more than 50% across the industry, more than 50% of revenue is coming from existing accounts. So That's exactly right. Yeah. And that, that dynamic is happening already. So Andrea, we'll get to the last segment of the show here. We've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And the first one of these questions is something you, you may have done actually. And it's a hypothetical scenario where you have just been hired as VP of sales at a company whose sales have stalled out. And you need to hit the reset button, CEO on board are anxious to get things back on track. So what two things would you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? So the first thing that I would do is I would understand who are our top customers. And I think we have to define who, what does that mean, our top customers. And so it can it can be a couple of things. It can be the customers we've had the longest that have We've seen incremental grow with, growth with them, and it can actually mean the biggest customers, right? The ones that have the largest footprint. I don't think that it's always just the largest footprint. I think it's sometimes the ones that have grown with us, and we have long-standing relationships with them. So that was the first thing I would do is kind of diagnose or discover, you know. And, and I, I like to think, you know, we're we're in a discovery mode with what is the business, what's mm-hmm. the current state of the business. So that's the first one is I would just understand who are our customers, and then I would take a look at the performers, right? So take a look at the team, 
And how are they actually performing against their, not, not just their quota, but also the plan, right? So are they hitting their forecast, right? Are they are they good forecasters or are they sandbaggers or are they you know, rose-colored glasses? Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd understand our customer base and kind of the market, and then I'd understand the, the players that we have on the team. And, you know, where do they rank? And trying to understand in, in that initial discovery, you know, if there are some why they're not performing, I'd want to understand that. So I think I'd look at the, the customers in the market and I'd look at the people. Okay. Great answer. So now I've got some, just a few rapid fire questions. You can give me one word answers if you want or elaborate. So the first one is when you, Andrea, are out selling, personally when you're out selling, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Uh, I'm very personal. I like to understand the person I'm selling to. What's What are their motivators? What are their drivers? How do you connect to them in a way in which you know, it, I guess it can be categorized as a relationship seller, but if you don't understand the person that you're selling to, mm-hmm. how can you actually understand why they're going to make a decision for you? Okay. Who's your sales role model? My sales role model is a gentleman by the name of Jay Fulcher. Um, Jay Fulcher was an executive that I worked with at PeopleSoft, um, and he's he's a multiple-termed uh, CEO for companies that he's been very successful in, uh, you know, creating an event for those companies. And he's just very matter-of-fact. He just gets down to business, and he asks the very clarifying questions. He doesn't, again, super logical, mm-hmm. not emotional, and I just love that about him. Excellent. All right, other than your own book, what's one book every salesperson should read? So this is going to be different. So I think they should read Leadership and Self-Deception by the Arbinger Institute. And the reason is every salesperson has no one that reports to them, but everybody works for them. Uh And it's a book on creating future leaders and understanding the motivations of other people. And I think in sales, it's, I think you could easily say the challenger because I do love the challenger, but leadership and self-deception is an amazing book for, I think, future leaders. Okay. You said that was the Harbinger Institute? The Arbinger Institute. Arbinger. Okay. I'm going to look that up. Very interesting. Okay. Last uh, question for you is what music's on your playlist? Uh, Fleetwood Mac, man. Can't go over it. It's my mother's generation. I don't know if there's... Wait, it's your mother's generation? It's my mom's generation. My mom loved Fleetwood Mac. It's not even my generation, and I can't stop listening to it. Interesting. All right. Well, that just made me feel very old. Okay. So, uh, thank you. <laughs> See if you get a return invite. Um, no, that was great. So, uh, well, thank you for being on the show. It was a great yeah. discussion. And yeah, I'd love to have you back on. And, and we... You only got to about half the questions I wanted to get to. So tell folks how they can connect with you and learn more about your book. So my Twitter handle is aaustin94965. Um, you can uh, go to our website, uh, Align to Achieve, um, and we, we will actually get you a copy of the book, or you can actually go onto Amazon and look it up, Align to Achieve. Um, and then you can reach me at InsideView at andrea.austin at insideview.com. Excellent. Well, great. Well, thanks again for being on the show. And remember, friends, make it part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And easy way to do that is take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, Accelerate. That way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Andrea Austin, who shared her expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.